This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for Games or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games. Recur is a world-class NFT platform working with game creators looking to build with NFTs. Don't go through the time, hassle, cost, and risk of building your own tech. Recur provides an institutional-grade secure platform for creators and an easy-to-use experience for users. Recur's one-of-a-kind metagaming service allows game creators to make compelling collecting games with NFTs that drive game economies. If you are a mid- to large-sized developer or publisher looking to enter the world of Web3, contact Recur at RecurForever.com to become a platform partner. Let's pause this podcast for a moment, because I need to talk to you. That's right, you. Are you ready? Good. So, you're an indie game developer and you need funding to help you launch and market your game. No problem, right? There should be one place where you can get funding and resources, but there really hasn't been one, until now. Our friends at Exola have launched Exola Funding Club, which you should check out ASAP. Exola Funding Club is matchmaking service for developers, investment firms, and groups, as well as video game publishers. They have a simple process. Developers apply to join the funding club. Once they're accepted, their applications are sent directly to interested investors looking to invest into video games, games just like yours. It's a win-win situation. Qualified developers get their game pitches placed in front of funding sources, while investors discover curated games that meet their criteria for the investment portfolio. Ready to get started? Just head over to exola.pro funding, or find the link in the episode description and apply today. Exola Funding Club putting the fun back in funding. Welcome everybody to Twig 193. Today, there's only three of us. We got Mr. Kress, Mr. Levy, myself, Mishka Katkoff. Um, we are going to talk about Snaps' shares plunging 25% on disappointing second quarter results and plans to slow hiring. We're going to talk about InnoGames publisher salary bans that they made public for 80% of the employees. And Ethan is back. I'm because back. We've been calling we've been calling him back. Ethan, how's the crypto winter treating you? Oh, you know, I'll uh, I'll get I'll get to this in in uh, my long piece at the end. But um, crypto winter has been great for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been super busy. I haven't been able to come to Twig for a while. I've got a new house, new company, new fundraise, 
Got a new baby on the way. Everything's changing in my life. I can't believe I can even make any time for this uh, this podcast. But fourth life... one, <laughs> fourth, yes, number four. Dude, what are you, what are you Hasidic? Like, what's going on? No. <laughs> <laughs> my my wife is uh, southern, and she wants she wants a big family, and I wanted to found a company. So here we are, I guess. But you know, wait, this, you're, this is your fourth. This will yeah. be number four. Yes. Oh my God! What kind of environmentalist are you? <laughs> Jesus Christ! No, uh, you can't have that I, many kids, dude. the the plot The planet is is dying. No more children. No, I, I think I read the uh, the different story, but anyway, like two kids. I, I have two kids, and that's a lot. Everybody who has mm-hmm. three kids is like a Captain America to me. Four kids. I don't even know what to describe that person. Sad and masochist. Yeah, like, I, what it, it's <laughs> uh, you know, what's what's a little more chaos on top of a giant pile of chaos? I guess I don't, we'll find out. <laughs> we can just track my hairline over the next couple years worth of episodes. See how it goes. Fuck. Well, Ethan, Ethan Mazeltov. Um, I don't know what else <laughs> to say. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so let's move on to happy. I mean, this is a happy occasion. In all honesty, like it's, it's all kids are great. Uh, but before we talk about another kid, which is Eric Cress's son and his ascension towards NBA, uh, I'd like to I'd like to uh, shill a little bit about the upcoming Gamescom party with DOF and Novik and Phoenix Games on 25th of August in Cologne, Germany. Now, we got the spot. That it's, I mean, it's called Sonnenschein Etage, and it's a beach on a rooftop of a high-rise building. We're talking about like a beach bar, a fine sand, the palm trees, beach chairs, all in downtown Cologne on the rooftop. So it's a really, really cool location. So if you're listening to this, you haven't signed up yet, and a lot of people have signed up, and you're, you want to have margaritas in the sky with the brightest folks in the industry, you got to sign up now. We got, as I said, already tons of signs up, sign-ups, and Phoenix Games was, was kind enough to double up the space for the event because there were so many sign-ups, but it's still already full, and we're just in the, uh, in the process of approving. So put your name in. Uh, you might get in. Uh, and it's really worth worth getting in. And the party starts at 6 p.m., so you should really come as soon as possible uh, or you're not going to get to the beach. And um, it's not only about drinking those sweet caipirinhas over there. We're going to have a couple of panels with really, really top speakers. Uh, the DOF Slack community actually voted on these two panels. We're going to talk about games industry versus recession. And we're going to talk about fundraising in recession uh, for those two panels. There's a link in the description where you can sign up for the event. And welcome. See you there. All right. Did well, you lose it all on the roulette table? Dude, I, I did not gamble well once. Done. I actually walked through the casino maybe one time. I, I actually saw um, Bill Maher, which was really cool. Mm. And, uh, and, I, and I had a chance because I was out by myself to go gamble and I didn't do it. Because uh, I'm a Ex- Excellent self-control. Excellent. Yeah. Yes, um, but they won. They freaking won. It was unbelievable. They Ooh. really they beat like four really really tough teams, uh, and the one team that was like uh, the squad that won the championship uh, was from Compton, USA, um, and they were ranked in the top ten in the U.S. Uh, so we, now we had a few ringers that contributed quite a bit, but. Uh, but overall, like they they played really well and they they're really tough like er, like close games. 
Uh, and my son really did not play very well offensively, particularly, but he came through at the end with like 25 points uh, on the finals, so 25 points and like 18 rebounds. And that's 25 out of 50 points. So there's quite a bit. Um, and this is like the first time the ba- that their Bay City program has won this tournament in Vegas. So amazing part of the amazing end of the to the great season i'm glad you guys all could be a part of it i know you guys are waiting every week for this this update um the second update uh i'm headed to france and italy on august 5th so next week will be my last week before my vacation got the passports yesterday we got the tickets we got the plans we're excited get the flock out of dodge Mm -hmm. so to speak um and then the last update i have is diablo 4 Friends and family is out. The beta is out. And it looks like my invite got lost in the mail. I don't know what happened. Um, And if any any of you all there out there, I have an active account. Please uh, send me, uh, reach me out on LinkedIn because I do really would love to play. Um, That's it. That's all I got for updates. Enjoy your trip to Europe. um, But be prepared for your luggage not to travel with you. So (laughs) that's pretty much it. I I am terrified. I'm getting more and more terrified. Everyone's talking about delays and security lines, and I was. Just, it, it looks horrific. I was talking to a certain someone who just flew from Amsterdam, which is like one of the central uh, airports when you're coming out of the U.S. Uh, the security line in Amsterdam was between four to five hours. Now, flying from Amsterdam to Finland takes two hours, so, so the security line is almost double than the flight to than the actual flight. So it's a, it's a little bit of a shit show. Um, but, um, you know, just pack everything essential in the, um, in the carry on and, and you'll be fine. You don't need anything in Italy and France, you know, just anyways, let's talk about, (laughs) let's talk about the news. So, uh, I wanted to kind of get back to Netflix, which we, which you guys talked about actually in the last episode. And we had a Netflix newsletter piece on DOF newsletter called Netflix games is pivoting. Here's why. Now, if you haven't read the uh, the newsletter piece, check it out. It's about like four minute read, and you can find it on the Deconstructor of Fun website. Just go to the newsletter tab. In this in this newsletter, we we talk about the uh, the new exec hires and what it means really to the business. Uh, we talk about how it was abandoning the original strategy that they had, and and explain kind of like the Apple Arcade model, which is something that that they clearly pursued since the get go. Uh, as well as the issues with the Apple Arcade original version and what they changed going to Apple Arcade 2.0, which we have now uh, available. Uh, we underlined the, the two pivots for Netflix, Netflix games and suggested different moves in the direction of real games business unit that you guys actually discussed in the, uh, in the last episode. Um, and, you know, that was it. But as quite often when, when we publish things or when we do these podcasts, we get... Um, you know, uh, folks from the uh, from the industry sending us messages uh, and kind of giving a little bit more insight into what's going on. And and we actually got two, no, three different comments regarding Netflix um, that we're, of course, not telling the sources because we are wearing our journalist hats here. Uh, but to quote one, and this is from multiple sources that I got to verify that this is actually the case, uh, quoting one, um, one person who said, they want games that are live ops based, but ripping out all the in-app purchases. So, designed with um, designed with the same engagement hooks or the 
other free-to-play games have, but without real money microtransactions. Meaning that to access these games, you would need to sign in with your Netflix account, which you do right now. And they want games with high retention and high engagement, but without the player needing to spend any money on the game. Guys, what do you think about the uh, the model? Because our the way we thought would happen is they would move to a free to play and have a very really, like this established game business that is driving uh, top line revenue um, and and you know self sustaining. But in this model, it seems like they're taking free to play games that they don't want to be uh, making any money and just engaging. Very interesting. I uh. Again, these are, these subscription models are a bit scary. Uh, clearly, a, a huge advantage for Netflix and Microsoft, for that matter. Um, you know, every other developer has to make money on the content they're producing, uh, but they can make content that's not profitable just to fuel engagement. Um, and subscription, particularly from Netflix case, gives you that flexibility because you know they're they're much more broad than just gaming. Um, but I guess I've been talking about this with a few people over the last couple of months. Uh, is it, it just, <clears throat> excuse me, from Microsoft's perspective, it creates really perverse incentives for developers, right? So, excuse me. Um, you know, the goal is to make the cheapest, most addictive content possible to keep customers engaged, right? Like that's the goal, right? And so, uh, so for example, for someone like Bethesda, right? you know, who makes these absolutely epic games, you know, that cost $300 million and take six years to make, right? Why would you do that when you can build three games for $100 million each <clears throat> over the same time period, right? Um, and each taking only two years to develop, right? That would engage the audience a lot longer. And that's the perverse incentive, like these big projects, in theory, over time wouldn't get funded because they're not going to... Uh, not going to have the same result, um, and I, I do think this is the biggest model risk long term, um, and that the content just becomes just like Netflix, right? Netflix is a bunch of trash, right? That is super engaging and, and interesting, fun, right? Um, but it's still trash, right? With a few amazing experiences kind of sprinkled in, right? And you know that is not not where we are right now. I mean, we we we're we're in blockbuster territory on consoles, so, um, so I don't know. But for, for I'll, I'll, to going back to Netflix specifically, this makes sense for Netflix, right? That's what their model is. And so if they, you know, they have the flexibility of doing that. Um, uh, but I don't know whether or not how high quality these games will be because they'll, it'll just be continue to be a loss leader, in my, I think, anyway. I'll... Um... I'll take the the bull side of this argument. I mean, what they're doing, what it sounds like what they're doing uh, based on this tip is uh, basically what I originally wrote about in my first DOF blog post about Netflix. It's what me and you and Chris Heatherly talked about in the Netflix episode mm -hmm. uh, we described. Netflix has a free marketing channel that we know uh, from the data can drive downloads uh, for free by advertising them in the core Netflix app. It's super seamless to tap it, download it, uh, sign in and play. Um, and they, they could, if they had a hit game, they could promote it even higher within the app, get a lot more downloads. And like, just think about it. Like, would you rather play a Fortnite or a split gate that was free to play that had tons of microtransactions and a bunch of content you couldn't access? 
or one of the same quality with all the same content and you could get it all and there was less grind. Like, and especially if you t- attach that to a great IP like The Gray Man that they're turning into a series or The Old Guard that they're turning into a movie series or Extraction, like if you can combine IP with the marketing with a really great high quality multiplayer game with live ops to keep engagement high, why would you play uh, one of the other alternatives that's constantly asking you for money when you had this as part of the subscription? So I think I think it can work. Um, I think it can be accretive to customer retention. I think it's going to be very hard because you have to make a hit game. It's just like anything else. You have to make a hit game for this to work. And I think you're going to have to have a lot of faith in the spreadsheet that proves how all this investment into this new type of content can turn into reduced churn once you find the equivalent of House of Cards for um, Netflix games. So I think, you know, if they're as patient as they've said they would be in the past, if they invest over the long term, this this can work if they do the thing that we're all trying to do that's, you know, extremely difficult, which is to make a great mm. game that people want to play. <laughs> Yeah, but but think about think about the business model as a whole. So, I, I would I would actually agree if, with you quite a lot if it wasn't the situation where Netflix is at currently, where the stock price is halved, and they're losing subscribers, and they have to be much more cost not at least not, not I don't know much more, but at least cost conscious, which they haven't. Like their movies cost two hundred million a pop. Like the Gray Man that came out is you know like a a B tier movie with A class actors. And, yeah. and that's that's their kind of model. So, anyways, think about the uh, the game. So, let's say you do a puzzle game, and it has to be a really really good puzzle game. So now you have to work with a legit puzzle game publisher that actually has the analytics and has the ability to add levels and mod- kind of like uh, adjust the levels and, and all the, all that stuff that goes into live ops. You have to pay not only for that one game, but you actually have to pay them for every update that they do, right? So yeah, you're you running a big basically pay the staff. Yeah, the live services, uh, which yeah, is plus, you know, plus I was involved in in um, we did pursue a model similar to that with um, Tetris Arcade, uh, Tetris mm-hmm. Beat on Apple Arcade. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they didn't the agreement wasn't just for the update, but for a lot of new tracks and new updates mm-hmm. that, that the team kept launching um, after it was live. Yeah, it's it's expensive. It's expensive. And then yeah. one thing that that was in the newsletter piece is also that you have options on the market for free already. So, so it's, um, it's, I didn't expect that this is something that they were doing. I think everybody on the podcast last, last week was kind of, um, sure about them moving into a legit business and leveraging their audience, uh, their resources, their IPs into launching, uh, a, you know, games business unit. Uh, but here it's, it's like a content unit that, is honestly quite expensive. Not only the running costs, not only the team costs internally, but also the acquisitions that they'd be making and probably more acquisitions that they'd be making in the future. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, hope this this pans out, but it was very surprising to hear from multiple sources. The last point I'll make, and the same point I made, like, what, six months ago when we started talking about this, is that, look, the cost of building these teams may not be material to them from a P&L perspective. But I mean, it is material from this perspective that they'll likely be unprofitable in how they build these games in terms of the amount of revenue they're generating incrementally. But 
my my biggest issue with this whole project and still no one has really extracted me is how in the hell are they going to hire these teams right there's not many teams out there and teams that are willing to build content without upside is I think makes it even more limited in terms of their ability to attract the right type of talent to rate them, make the right type of games to make the right type of engagement. So that I think that is going to be their biggest struggle. They can hire you know all these strategy guys, you know like uh, you know my buddy from Kabam and whatever. But in terms of actually hiring creative developers to build on this type of platform, I think it's going to be a challenge because if you want to build real games, you're not going to Netflix. You know you're going to go to you know, even Blizzard these days or, you know, Second Dinner or, um, you know, these 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 other joints by, you know, all these ex-Blizzard guys, right? Um, and or Take Two or whatever. So that's, I think, going to be their ultimate longer term challenge is to convince creatives to do this. So um, speaking of creative bankruptcy, <laughs> Ubisoft. <laughs> so Ubisoft released this earnings report that was... Interesting, because what they announced was actually relatively horrific, but they they managed to maintain like their guidance for the year, which I don't quite understand. And I think I do know why they did that. But anyway, so they guided down. They, they basically guided. Look, sorry, sorry, they pushed out Avatar, which is basically going to miss the movie, which is absolutely terrible. Right. You don't. A game like this and with an IP like this, you can't miss the movie, right? It's going to be a disaster, right? That you might as well cut the forecast in half by missing the movie because the game, the, the, I, I hate that IP to begin with, but it, without, without it being in time, it's dumb. They moved, delayed Assassin's Creed Rift, which was like a standalone, like smaller Assassin's Creed that was supposed to come out this year. They canceled uh, a Ghost Recon free-to-play like Battle Royale game. They canceled Splinter Cell VR. And then two other cancellations that were unannounced uh, projects. Um, and they announced somewhat of a restructuring. Basically, they said cost optimization, right? Um, and despite all this, they reaffirmed guidance for the year, right? Which doesn't make any sense, honestly. But as I said before in the podcast, Ubisoft's in a huge trouble right now, right? They do not, they, the execution is impossible for them. Their structure, the organization is completely in disarray. Um, and, uh, and, and I guess despite this, they do have amazing IP and they have some amazing games in the pipeline, including the star Wars, um, uh, you know, division game from massive. And then the new Assassin's Creed, uh, which will be really interesting, which looks like because they're going to push Assassin's Creed smaller game to next year, they'll probably push out the new Assassin's Creed to the following year. Um, but at the end of the day, as I said many times, they need to clean house and quote unquote cost optimization is not what they need to do. They need to do cross the board cuts and, 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 and really like, you know, delve into what, what's working and what's not working. Um, and if I were to guess, the reason they didn't guide down this year, and this is all speculation on my part, is likely they're putting, setting themselves up for a sale, right? Because if they had guided down, then the stock might have gotten crushed, right? Again, even though it's at an all-time low right now, um, if, if, if they guided down, then that would have sent the stock more. And so getting a premium on, on a lower stock price would be bad. So if I were to guess, they are about a $5 billion company right now. If they get bought for like seven and a half, eight billion, I think with all that IP and all the teams, I think it could be really worthwhile for, for strategic um, as well as 
lots of others that want content. Um, and if it wasn't for French employment law, which makes this thing so freaking expensive, uh, because you can't really lay people off in France, evidently. And I, but uh, this, I think this, 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 this content, this, the, the people that they have, the teams actually would be quite a steal. So, so. is your conjecture then that they're, they didn't guide down because they are trying to execute a sale between now and when they would have to um, uh, admit that they missed this guidance and that they can get a better price for their sale in that time period than even though they're going to take that a is, hit on, on missing the guidance. That, yes. Right. That, that has been done before. Yeah. How about okay. that? Um, <laughs> that is a, that is a maneuver. Do we call that the triple Lundy? Uh, that is a maneuver. That Dude, they just, <laughs> they pushed out their entire lineup for the yeah. year. Right? How is it possible that they're going to make numbers? I mean, it's impossible. I mean, I, I, you know, maybe I'm crazy, right? Um, and the fact that the stock has kind of remained elevated, you know, I think, you know, it's probably other people are thinking the same thing. So we'll see. We'll see. I, 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 it's time, I think, to get them off the table and get them, um, you know, get them executing well. Uh, I am so excited for this massive game. I just downloaded uh, Division. I, I absolutely love Division. Um, um, and I love Ubi Ubisoft games, but they're just, it's just really poorly managed. I just need uh, Netflix games to buy them so that they can finally fund the completion of Beyond Good and Evil 2. I still, I hold out hope that someday I'll play Beyond <laughs> Good and Evil 2. You know, and now, now that, now that they're going down this direction, maybe, maybe that combination doesn't make, make sense. So we'll see. All right, let's talk a little bit about mobile right. mobile games again. So, um, you know, Chris has been dogging on mobile games on this podcast, like every time, just horrific things. But that's why we got Nuzu to help out with this powerful latest report that says that more than half of all games revenue this year will come from mobile. Now, according to the latest Nuzu report, the global mobile games industry will hit $103.5 billion in 2022. It's actually the same amount of euros these days. Uh, the global games industry with a, uh, forecasted a 2.1% growth overall. And the number of gamers worldwide is expected to reach 3.5 billion by 2025, which is an increase of 600 million from, uh, from, 2020, from 2020. And the primary driver for this growth is, that, is the mobile market with 50 3% market share. And the growth areas is, of course, in terms of players, is Africa, uh, Latin America, and Middle East, uh, while US and EU don't really have meaningful growth projections. The report, the report also shows PC gaming with equally modest growth of about 1.6%, uh, while the market share for console gaming actually declined 2.2%. Now, this on one hand, can explain the push of AAA franchises and publishers towards mobile, but we have to take it into account that the console market will see a significant growth, according to this report, in 2025 because they expect the alleviation of supply chain issues and the release of many delayed titles in 20, that, were, that got delayed in 2023 and 2024. Now, the report also stated that, that these continued supply chain issues 
and the differing working conditions, uh, aka working remotely, have led to delays for many titles which began development during the pandemic, as well as continued supply shortages for the latest generation of console and PC components. But we talked about that in this podcast maybe a few weeks ago about the impact of remote work, and Nuzu is kind of um, still, you know, enforcing that 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 working remotely on a new IP is not good if you want to ship anytime soon. Eric? Um, I think this basically says exactly what we've been mm -hmm. saying for the last few weeks, maybe in less colorful terms. But um, you know, the mobile market is absolutely massive, right? There's no doubt about that. It's just in decline uh, because of Apple, right? So, uh, you know, it's basically the market conditions are horrific because of one of the biggest platforms in the space. And that should continue for the next few years until we get some stability in terms of product, you know, aligning product with the opportunities from a marketing perspective, uh, given the new world order. Um, so, yeah, there we go. And then, and then the, the console points are the same points we've been making. We mm -hmm. are in a lull. We are in a platform transition. Hardware is not available. Software is delayed because of all kinds of different structural issues and COVID. And now, um, we are looking forward to a bigger 2023 in particular from a content perspective. Although Call of Duty not coming out, I was just talking about this with a client yesterday. Call of Duty not coming out next year creates a huge gaping hole since it is the biggest game every year. Um, but I, I think we'll be able to figure out around it. Um, what else? All right. So, you know, what? Sorry, what's that. really interesting about um, this dynamic is that part of what we're seeing is that reduced ad spend due to reduced ad targeting tools leads to lower overall monetization. Is that what we're saying? So like individuals are monetizing less, but more people are getting mobile devices, access to mobile devices as a gaming platform, and that's helping the size of mobile grow. And I just think it's a very interesting human dynamic that it's not that individuals are out there like I have my $2,000 I'm going to spend on free-to-play mobile games this year and it's just a question of which games, but that the marketing actually creates spending. It creates new spending. And so by having less marketing dollars poured in, it creates less revenue. That's just a really – I've never actually thought about it before right now and maybe like my mind's being blown and other people are like, no, duh, Ethan, but this is – it's it's a very interesting human behavior to think of um, that the marketing creates spending um, that it's not that people are sitting around with an appetite to spend looking for where to put their dollars. No, and, and supply creates its own demand. You know, like that's that's part of the idea, right? Is that if you don't have people effectively pitching you good product that you're interested in on a regular basis, you're not going to buy it, right? Right, and you're gonna. And in, in mobile's case, you're going to churn from the game that you're getting bored of or tired of or, or move on, or you stick around for longer, like, which just seems to be happening as well. Right. But ultimately, you're going to churn out. And if you're not, if the drug dealer is not out there, <laughs> you know, with cocaine or crack, you know, you're going to end up right. drinking a drinking a beer. So, so in my know? case, since so, since nobody's pitching me the right anime style gotcha game for me right now, I downloaded for free Netflix's Into the Breach and there goes all my gaming hours for the next, that's going to be my mobile game for the next three months, I can tell. That's at least 100 hours. That game is so good, so perfect on the mobile device. Anyways. Yep. 
So, um, anyway, so the next <laughs> the next uh, headline is Snap Snap shares plunge twenty five percent on disappointing second quarter results, uh, and and their plans to slow hiring. So the, the stock was actually down forty percent because I think they did this headline before the end of the day. The stock was down forty percent. Now again. You have to understand this thing is down 86% from its high. It's down to $10 a share. The IPO price was 15, I believe. Um, so when the stock went down 40, it was already down 70, right? So, um, so they missed top and bottom line estimates even after revising guidance last quarter in May. In May, um, they did not provide guidance going forward because they have no visibility into what's going to happen. You know, what is Apple going to do next type thing, right? Um, you know, and they quote unquote, they are not satisfied with the results that they're delivering, regardless of the current headwinds. Um, so in May, Snap said they wouldn't meet their second quarter guidance uh, set before, which also led to another 43% drop. Um, they said there was macroeconomic um, and uh, deteriorating much faster than expected. Um, so this time, Snap you know, attributed the disappointing results to slowing demand for the platform, challenges in the economy, Apple's 2021 iOS update, at least they acknowledge it finally, right? Uh, increased competition from TikTok, which is also true, by the way, and have uh, led marketers to uh, pull back their spending, just generally speaking. So, um, uh, and then the, the article went on saying, investors are gonna see a clear picture of the online ad environment when Twitter reports on Friday, as well as Alphabet and Meta next week. So here's my take. Like, it's very simple, right? At least they said it out loud, right? Apple's policies have changed, are a huge factor in this, right? Competition from TikTok is definitely a factor. But again, they can't blame macro from January to May, right? I mean, they just can't. You can't do that, right? You just can't make that assessment, right? Nothing's happening, right? So macro is going to happen going forward. And so, yeah, don't give guidance because you don't know what the fuck is going to happen in the next like six months with the macro stuff. You know that the IDFA is just absolutely screwing up you up the hoo-ha, right? So like, like, okay, there's a little bit disingenuous type, you know, diversion here to some degree. But again, I don't want to be a broken record here, but this is not macro. Right, this is not macro for the first six months. Right, this is all IDFA. This is all Apple. Apple's policies, competition from TikTok, sure, but Apple's policies are the primary factors that's affecting their business. Right, and I remember Snap in particular bothers me because I remember talking to this biz dev guy before they went public um, down at the ballpark. I remember this specifically, and I and I had lunch with them, and I asked them point blank. I'm like, what what exactly are you guys collecting from customers in order to like? targeting your advertising because our advertising was supposedly their big business model that they were doing. And I had heard that they were so early in the infancy of building this thing. He said, actually, honestly, very little we're collecting. <laughs> he says, how do you expect to make money? He's like, we're going to figure this out later, <laughs> right? We'll figure this out later type thing, right? Now they're going public and you know worth billions, tens of billions of dollars, whatever. Um, but it looked like they figured it out after a time, right? But now they're facing these headwinds that are completely beyond their control. Um, and, and, and they're at the mercy of these platform holders that, that they, they have no, absolutely no control over. And so despite the fact that I don't think Snap is an unpopular thing, I think still people, kids in particular, are using it all the time. The advertising market, when you're not in control of your own destiny with these platforms, it's, it's just a really challenging place to be. Um, and I think that's affecting everyone in the space uh, and will continue to do it. And now 
with the macro stuff, I think we'll still continue to see um, you know challenges uh, going forward, as well as other privacy initiatives that are going to happen with both Google and Apple. So, anyway, that's uh, Snap. I don't want to make this like a, a um, an earnings report coverage thing uh, generally, but uh, but a lot of news is actually kind of condensed into these earnings reports that's relevant for for everybody so do, I, I think you know it makes do sense you know if if they talked about their games uh business at all as part of their earnings report has 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 snap gaming been meaningful for uh for them or for any developers do we know of any hits on snap no yeah mm. no i know for a fact that none of that shit works <laughs> it doesn't work so yet, it, because the, the 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 engagement is not there the way it is with WeChat in China, right? So you're not going to get these chachki fucking HTML5 games <laughs> circumventing the store, and 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 that's bullshit. It's all bullshit, you know. I've 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 analyzed I've analyzed that thing like eight times, like over my last like six years, you know. I'm tired of even talking about it. HTML5 is not the answer. All right. Uh, well, what what else? What else do you want to cover? There were plenty of news here. Did you see? Yeah. Like, like I'm just gonna go through through a couple. There's your favorite company, Embracer. According to Sensor Tower, Embracer Group takes the top spot in Google Play downloads in Europe. Eric, Chris, any comments? Who the fuck cares? You can download all you want if you're not making money. Right. Who cares? And then meanwhile, like the, one of their studios is completely. Getting dissolved, you know the Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic studio, right? Uh, the, the 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 chinks in the armor are starting to happen, right? Where these studios are just bailing, right? Because the bot model doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. So what Eric is referring to is Star Wars Knights of Old Republic game has been paused by Amid Studio shakeup, and Amid Studio is owned by Embracer. So apparently, this Austin Bay based developer so i think they let go head of studio or gm as well as design director so i'm not sure if those were the two i mean everybody can go and look at the uh, the article um but um they're working on this i believe with um lucas arts and sony if i'm a correct. asper asper is the developer and then mm -hmm. it's a partnership uh, with wait asper's owned by yeah asper got purchased by embracer so asper is primarily oh, okay. has been like a remaster and porting historically mm -hmm. to matt yeah, yeah, i was really excited about this uh remake so this, yeah. this news made oh. me sad yeah, me too yeah according to this news so they they uh, what the uh, what the news outline is that they went out and showed the other uh, vertical slice they were really happy with the vertical slice they worked hard on the vertical slice uh, but as a result, uh, some key people got let go and they don't know what the future of the project is. And they, uh, I think they were supposed to come out with a game in late 2022. So this year, uh, but they pushed it back by, I think, two to three years. And of course, um, that's quite hefty. basically never. Yeah, well, well, I wouldn't say that. But uh, but and uh, as an end result, uh, they, they did this in co-development with Saber Studio, which is also, of course, owned by Embracer. And now there's rumors, according to the article, that the game will be just moved under Saber, and that puts the uh, the, the MS Studio in a in a really difficult spot. So of course, really bad to read about these rumors from the from the from uh, from an outlet, because if you work at the studio, it would be very um, you know worrying to read this uh, versus to hear it from the management. So I hope the management is also communicating to the developers what is going on, because they do not know based on the article. 
Ethan Levy. Tell us yeah, about. I mean, don't get yeah. me started. <laughs> what, I, what, I, what I've been saying about Embracer this whole time, it's like it's gonna, it's, it's gonna collapse upon itself. Wow. Uh, right. Well, that was a hot take. Uh, <laughs> so Ethan Levy. I'll, I'll do some some really short news updates. One is that uh, yesterday, from recording, so Tuesday, Multiversus entered the public open beta. Uh, a Smash-like game, free-to-play game from Warner Brothers that allows you to play as Batman, Superman, Harley Quinn, Shaggy and Velma from Scooby-Doo, Taz the Tasmanian Devil, Arya Stark, Jake the Dog, and Finn the Human from Adventure Time. Um, <laughs> this game, I have to be honest that when it was announced, it was the sort of thing that I'm like, Eh, th- this won't work. Who who wants to play as uh, Shaggy and Velma? But for some reason, I really want to play as the Tasmanian uh, Devil. Everything I've seen about this game is positive. It seems to be getting a lot of love, and I, I believe that our friend Adam uh, is involved in it in some way, shape, or form. So congrats to everybody at uh, WB in- involved in this game. I think they've uh, pulled... It looks like they're onto something great with um, multiverses. Um. Second, uh, a quick news story I want to talk about was Gearbox is closing its forums and moving to Discord. This is according to VG247. Um, and uh, a quote from the article, not to sound like a broken record, but Discord is not a suitable replacement for forums. Admittedly, Discord is a fantastic tool for voice calls and real-time conversations, uh, but Discord's functionality compared to a forum is wildly different. Uh, this, I... I it's not, cl- I have to agree with this because as, as I've been getting into crypto, I've been all about Discord and like Discord is not really a, um, a place for conversation, for archived um, uh, lookups of, of conversations people have had in the past. So I think it's a great community building tool, but I think there is value to a traditional forum or a wiki or something of that ilk that can be indexed and searched and, and is great for asynchronous communication and collaboration. So it's a trend uh, we're seeing uh, Discord over forums, but I, I do think forum, Discord's great, but forums have their place. Um, last little news story, uh, I, I mentioned it earlier, uh, Netflix, they've gotten a lot of flack from us, so I wanted to highlight that they've released into the breach. They've brought it to mobile. Previously, it was only on iPad. Uh, this is one of those games I've bought on three or four different platforms and gone like, I'll, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. And I'm finally playing it on mobile. It's so good on mobile. It's mm-hmm. I can see why everybody said it was one of the best games of 2018. I'm going to spend easily 100 hours uh, on my phone uh, uh, playing this game. It's just great. And Mishka, I know you've been playing it too. Yeah. Yeah, it's Advanced Wars meets XCOM, right? That's yeah. it. That's how you would yeah. describe it. It's, it's. Um, I wouldn't say it's fun. It's so goddamn challenging because <laughs> I, I, I play it too much. It, it is satisfying and it's infuriating. And every time I lose, which is in every game, I'm like, I'm, I'm definitely not playing this again. And then lo and behold, in four hours... When I have a break, I'm again like 20 minutes in into this uh, this goddamn but, mech versus aliens battle. <laughs> this is this is the type of game you could do live ops on relatively um, cheaply, which is just mm-hmm. release you know new missions, new features, basically what people are doing with early access and live support. Um, but you know, I wanted to counterbalance all of our negativity on Netflix games with um, this game is great, and thank you for bringing it to us, Netflix. Yeah, well, well, okay. So, I don't think I don't think we have been negative. We have been just questioning the business case. Uh, 
And yeah. yes, this yeah, game no, this agree. game is uh, fantastic, but it was also released in 2018. Like, right. I mean, I got all the rage when I was talking about Northgard. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, Northgard is equally as good as Into the Breach and better production values. Now they have the Dune game, so you should really play Northgard. Uh, from, I forgot the French publisher name, but anyways. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's a game that was released originally on Steam. It was successful on Steam, and now it's a ported to mobile. And clearly, probably Netflix paid them a lot that it was ported, and now they're getting good amount of engagement and good for the publisher. But it's but uh, but it's not gonna like the amount of players that likes Into the Breach has to be tiny. Like it's it's not a game that uh, that is enjoyed by the wide audience. It's enjoyed by middle aged gamers like myself and Ethan. <laughs> 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 so so uh so you know our taste is definitely not mainstream let's be honest here yeah. um anyways but a fantastic game if you have a netflix subscription and you're a middle-aged gamer you should really <laughs> download this game <laughs> if not then just forget I, about it i think you, you if you've ever loved advanced wars or fire emblem or tactics yeah. ogre this is a game for you but you have to you have to also like XCOM the uh, the absolute loss at the end of the every right. every campaign yeah. where you lose your guys and you right. have to pick one out of the three that died to take you to the new run again that is so brutal so XCOMy and um, fantastic just makes you want to play again because you hate it and you white knuckle right. it again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's are we going to move to uh Eno games? Talk about Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 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 this is this is like uh, you know, it's okay, so it was an article on Pocket Gamer. Eno games is pro- part of MTG Group, Modern Times uh, Games Group. Uh, and the the salaries uh, so what they did is they essentially published uh, salary bands for 80% of their employees and uh, as an example, like if you're a developer, they have multiple different levels, like junior, regular, senior team lead, senior team lead, expert head. And they would say a salary ban. Like if you're a team lead uh, developer, they would say you're earning between 75,000 euros to 96,000 euros. And your transition ban is up to 106 to 560. So pretty nice bans. And um, and this was an article on Games um, Pocket Gamer where they're the COO of uh, Inno Games uh, Michael or Mikhail Zilmer explained why they did this. And they did this because salary transparency is a matter of fairness. Agree. Uh, it allowed them to normalize salaries across the EU if big players publish them. So they're kind of on the forefront and want other developers to, to do so. If you're an American and you look at these salaries, you're like, these guys are getting pennies on the dime, uh, especially considering that dollar and, and euro are the same. But, uh, but you know, we got many benefits. Anyways, uh, and it debunks the sort of a long-standing misconception, according to Mihal, uh, that our industry pays people poorly. Uh, I don't know who has this misconceptions. And actually, you know, game salaries are on top third of the German market. So I think they're a little bit flexing by showing these salaries, to be honest. Um, it allows new hires not to get underpaid because they're coming in and they're not like coming in at a 50% lower rate than, than existing. And according to him, it would also lower the dropout rate in the application process because traditionally German salary is only discussed at the late stage of the process. Now, that's a stupid way to discuss salaries. They should be always discussed in the beginning because what's the purpose of going through the process if you're not agreeing on the, uh, on the salary overall? Uh, but also in this article, he actually says that that's not even an issue. Um, but... 
you know, he kind of uh, contradicts himself. Anyway, um, he also mentioned that there's some risks in publishing these salary bands because now headhunters have a number. So you can go after a senior developer and just put in like a fiver on top of it and say, hey, we'll pay you more. But in the end, salary is only one of the uh, of of the uh, of of uh, of elements in the formula of job satisfaction. And if you have an employee that is trying to get a raise with competing offers, uh, that person will most likely leave you inside a year anyway. So don't don't bother. Usually, that's that's uh, how I, I see it. Anyway, my take on this whole thing: the idea behind making employee salaries public is arguably a noble one. More and more companies are seeking to embrace the philosophy that being open and honest with your employees about all things and in an effective way, uh, it forces it forges the sincere and honest employee and employer relationship. Transparency with salary can also help to address some unfortunate inequities in compensation that women uh, as well as minority groups sometimes face. But there are also pros and cons with transparency that company has to acknowledge. When you push for transparency, you encourage it across all levels. Now, if you do so, employees will start comparing their salaries inside the same band, for example. That will for sure spark some awkward conversations between coworkers comparing their paychecks. People will be asking, listen, I'm a data analyst, you're a data analyst. Why are you making 10,000 more than I am? Like we're all in the same band, but, but how come you're making 10,000 more? And what the conversation will usually shift around is, tell me how to negotiate a bigger salary. So again, it will move away from, um, from discussion about what skills you have to get and so forth uh, to discussion about negotiation tips and tricks uh, to do in the conversation to negotiate a, a higher salary increase inside the organization. That can happen. I'm not saying it's happening all the time, but it can happen. Um, and uh, why, do companies, why do most companies keep salaries a secret? Well, according to Kevin Hollock, who is a dean of industrial and labor relations at Cornell University, there's simply three reasons why, why companies don't tell salaries. Number one is letting employees compare paychecks with each other or with top executives is simply too disruptive and not worth it, according to him. He also says that companies simply aren't very good at explaining to employees why they're being paid, what they are paid, or what they must do to earn more. And as a third reason says, also some employers fear competitors will poach their top talent by offering higher pay, just like Michael said. Now, on the more positive note, uh, opening up salaries according to 2012 study in the Penn State Law Review leads to more equal pay between men and women. In other words, women don't, well, this is my addition, women don't lowball themselves when negotiating salaries because they know what others are making. Uh, in 2015, a study co-authored by Peter Bamberger, uh, who is an associate dean at Tel Aviv University, on the other hand, found out that pay secrecy is linked to lower employee performance and a higher likelihood of quitting when employees suspect performance assessments or criteria for setting pay are unfair. And finally, the study by staffing firm Robert Half International showed that many people would rather look for a new job than ask for a raise. So in this study, 89% of participants said they deserve a raise. Only 54 said they plan to ask for one. Transparency in salary would help by showing how far from being sort of a maxed out in your band the employees uh, his and her tier um, uh, that would show it and they sh and and what they need to do to progress to the next year so they can ask you know more salary inside that band. Anyways, 
To conclude, I think what InnoGames is doing is smart. Uh, it shows that they are a top payer in the German game scene. So, of course, they want to uh, make that public. Uh, they normalize salaries between individuals in the same role, which is very fair and good way to, uh, to move forward and, and kind of kills all the uh, disgruntled. Uh, and they offer a very clear salary progression between these different bands, uh, as well as different levels. And of course, any big company usually has this. Um, but here's a little bit of an advice. In Finland, all salaries and capital gains are actually public uh, for every taxpaying individual. Now, I can see how much a CEO, a board member, a junior designer, or a tech lead made last year by simply typing their name in the tax registry site, and this is all free. When it comes to InnoGames, the leadership talks the talk, but doesn't quite walk the walk themselves. You see, the CSU doesn't have the salary bands at InnoGames. Uh, and I'm going to quote uh, Michal on this. Uh, apparently, it's not because they don't want so, but it's because, here's a quote, the prerequisite for setting a salary band at InnoGames is that at least six employees share the same career model. If the group covered by salary band becomes too small, the risk that individual salaries can be deduced becomes too high. COO Mihal Zilmer continues, there are currently only five employees at the C-level. However, even if there were six right now, we wouldn't have a separate salary band for them since they do not share the same career model. Now, I think in a game leadership team should show their salary band. They're doing this for the employees. They should walk the walks because I think the employees will appreciate it. But what I wouldn't do, unlike they do in Finland, is show the capital gains because that just attracts criminals. So let's just leave that one out and just show your salary. Be, be, be just like your employees. And I think that brings more unity. Other than that, I think what InnoGames is doing is smart. Uh, I think it's something that, that other developers should do. And um, yeah, that's just my piece of advice. Any comments? Um, I, I think the thing that I like about this when I look at the salary band chart, just imagining myself as an employee is that the salary band for the for a senior person which i would assume is an individual contributor and a team lead are actually the same elements and uh in team lead there's a senior team lead that has a higher band and then mm -hmm. there's an expert class that didn't have a band but it said from 96k yeah but i think um a lot of people who've who I've managed or even myself when I've been I've gone back and forth on being a manager throughout my career and um, if you're someone who's happiest being an individual contributor you can find yourself being pulled into a lead or a management role due to desire for more salary even though it makes you unhappy and so if I was inside there I would love knowing that my economic opportunity is similar if I'm an individual contributor or a team mm. lead, that that's a responsibility I can take on if I choose to and if it calls to me and not something I have to do so that I can afford a, a bigger mortgage payment. So that's a really good that's a really good addition, Ethan, because a lot of the times a lot of people think that they have to move to a people lead position versus individual yeah. contributor track just to make more money and progress in their career. But this I didn't think about it, but this is actually yeah. even another good reason to like, do it. You can you can ruin an amazing engineer or an amazing artist by giving them responsibilities that they don't want and they're not suited mm -hmm. for, and you can make mm -hmm. it bad for the people who work for them, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. being being a in a management role has to be something. It's it's a, it's its own skill. 
Um, yeah, and, it's and, really hard. and you ru- you ruin it also by putting people in a leadership position without giving them any leadership coaching or mentoring. That's yep. really the reason. Yeah, the, the main yep, reason. that happened to me uh, a bunch of times. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Well, and, uh, and EA, well, I was so. like, oh, I I manage twenty five people now. Can can yeah. anybody tell me what I'm supposed to do? No, you got Nothing. it, Ethan. You, you got, got it. it. You <laughs> got it. You got it. You got kids. You know how to do it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can't get over how low these salaries are. I, I, well, sorry, I don't want to open a can of worms here, but like exactly what can 100,000 euros afford you in these type of countries? Uh, can you? So, yeah, I can I can explain to have you. Have a mortgage and rent a house. So just quickly. Yeah. Though, yeah. You, you have to you have to also take into account a very, very high tax rate that is progressively high. So uh, it would be California level, if not higher in Germany. So <laughs> so um, so you're not even talking about 100K. Okay. So you're probably talking about 50 a year. That was that would be your net. And Hamburg, where InnoGames right. is located, is very, very nice city. Uh, which comes with a, with a little bit of a higher uh, price range. Let's what can you afford? Cut to the chase. Cut to the chase. How much, how much is rent and how much is my, your 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 fifty thousand dollars in salary is going to rent? Uh, how do you survive on fifty thousand? Oh, euros? easily. I mean, the rent in Hamburg. I haven't been to, to Hamburg. I know Berlin prices, but I would bet that you can get between. A uh, thousand to fifteen hundred would probably even even net you a pretty nice place. If anybody oh, okay. is from from Hamburg, please or, or in Germany, just send us messages on on the prices in Germany. Uh, stop, stop, stop. Yeah. Is there any other compensation that you're getting besides this hundred thousand? The euro? government isn't the government safety net very generous in, in the government uh, safety Germany net as is compared very to yeah. So so, Chris, you have to take into account that uh, that uh, education is much much cheaper than the uh, the the how would I describe the American system? There, there other are no than a, <laughs> $40,000 private middle schools. Than, a, than an absolutely horrific system uh, of healthcare and education. We do not have that. We do not, we do not, you know, punish, punish citizens. Right. So there, there's some, ex- <laughs> you can pull out some, some expenses. Yeah. But, but saying, if you're, but, man, that but if you're, seems... but here's the thing, if you're from us and you actually paid for your education and you have, uh, you have this, uh, uh, this this debt uh, that is installed upon you that is the reason why we don't see a lot of Americans working in, in in Europe because our salaries are significantly lower. There was actually a post on LinkedIn where somebody posted some engineer saying that um that um or was it his manager or whatever uh, was saying that an uh, engineer in, in in Amsterdam was making 80k and that person received an offer from Lyft. And I, I don't remember the correct number, but it might have been like 350k or, or something like that. And they were yeah, like, no, "What I mean, is going look, on?" I can, uh, these these salaries these salaries on this list are more than double in the U.S. Yeah, easy. So 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 the more, more than moral than of double. the story is triple. Moral of the story: What I'm trying to say is, have your development in Europe. We speak good English. We're close by. You can come to Italy. You can come to France. We're twice cheaper than Americans. Outsource right. here to the old continent. You're, you're a moron. <laughs> you're a moron. Anybody, that, anybody worth their salt is going to come to the U.S. I've been you there. Know, I've been there, guys. Paid three times as much. Yes, that is good. Go to the right. U.S. for a Move while, on. then come back right, to crypto, Europe. Crypto winner. We are, we, are, we are not going to cover this at all well, but... Give us our give us the take on crypto window. We've been calling. Yeah, you yeah, you've been summoning stuff. me. I've been listening. Um, people have been messaging me. So I'll give you. I'll try and give the shortest possible version of of what happened. And I'm leaving out tons of detail. But um, pretty simply, 
the U.S. Federal Reserve lowered interest rates, and that had the effect of killing the frothiness in the crypto market. Prices are down across the industry for token assets. Wait, I got to yeah. stop you there. I got to <laughs> yeah. stop you there. Right. You cannot blame the Fed increasing interest rates on crypto. It's supposed to be devoid. No, no, I'm, I'm separate. From no. Well, one, anybody who thought that the price of crypto assets was not correlated, anybody who bought that story was a fucking moron. And deserve to get wiped out. Just, that was the story, that though. Wasn't, that, that wasn't the my point story. Of this alternative. That wasn't my story. I think that probably all, all right, this ahead. weird alternative start. finance stuff is going to be, you know, regulated or sued, kind of out of existence, or a lot of it. it is. It's going to be regulated into yeah. oblivion. But, you know, so, all right, moving on. So I'm not blaming the uh, the Fed rate on crypto. It's the other way around. Like a higher price of borrowing mar- money has had the effect of creating crypto winter, right? Uh, because a lot of people wanted to cash out. The easy money wasn't there. Prices are down for tokens and NFTs across the industry. Many companies have fallen and many more will fall. And so far, we haven't seen any contagion into the real economy. Um, so I would say we were in a, a super frenzy mode where it seemed like easy money. You could fundraise easily. You could just put Web3 in your deck without any thought of what your business model is and have people tripping over themselves to give you money. And that seems to be over. Uh, But there are still many projects seeing massive success. Just see the interview we published a couple weeks ago with Alluvium after their $72 million land sale. There is still demand for crypto games and and crypto assets out there, but in general, the the market is lower overall. So as I said, I uh, recently started a crypto games company, uh, that's how much I believe in this. So I kind of, I don't really care that much that we're in a crypto winter. I mean, it, it's probably going to affect me when it when it comes time to do the next piece of fundraising, but uh, I'm here because of the tech. I believe in the tech and I believe that properly executed a free-to-play game where players own their assets is better for players than a free-to-play game where they don't. And that's why crypto games is going to win. Um and so this moment we're in right now, to me, feels like when Facebook turned off the um, social posts that you could post to the wall and everybody who is on Easy Street on Facebook uh, Canvas with really bad free-to-play games found that they, they no longer had free, cheap, easy users and they didn't have the underlying retention or business model to succeed in a lot of games uh and companies went out, that doesn't mean that it stopped the uh, ascendance of free-to-play in the West, right? It's a new business model. So, Oh, that's a terrible analogy. I think, it's a per- I think that's exactly where we are. We, <laughs> this is a period similar to turning off the feed, right? Like companies that didn't have the fundamentals are going under. Products that don't have the fundamentals are failing. But people are... St- Dude, they're criminals. They're fucking criminals. They just... Stole money from from tons of people. It's a completely different who, situation. Who, who are the criminals? Who stole the money? Dude, they they created assets that had no value, sold it to to whoever would buy it, and now the people that bought it are left holding the bag. That's what well, I mean. That is, I mean, it's criminal. one. It, that is not what that is not what Facebook did. Facebook basically pulled the rug from under the publishers. No, they, I, I'm saying I'm saying really in, in in the life of the business model. That is, this is an equivalent uh, moment where things that okay, don't but yeah, but again, it's a false equivalency in the sense that people were not being taken for all the money that they had, 
you know, because of Facebook's policies, you know, the only people that were affected were the actual publishers. Well, wouldn't you say that the ahead. investors who invested in those companies and those companies were then wiped out because of Facebook's platform change Again. were taken? <laughs> That is a good point taken, but that is a very small percentage of people that were that were that were were, were willing to risk that money on on those investments. Right. Anyway, moving on, right. this affected a far more broad okay. spectrum of people that are lose their ass. So, right. go ahead. I mean, one, I, or I'll just say that, like, if if you're like if you're in crypto or were in crypto solely for the hype, if you're like, I have this game that I want to get funded. And I can't get it funded through traditional means, so I'll just put Web3 in it. Um, and we're doing it disingenuously. You should stay away from the tech and the, and the business model. If you're like me, if you, if you believe that it'll change the nature of free-to-play games over time by making things more fair and better for players by giving them ownership of their assets, then now's the time to build. What if you were forced to Web3? Because here's the, the reality. Who's Q3 forced last to Web3? Let me let me let me tell you. When reality, people who make reality, choices are not reality. Forced. Re, well, reality. <laughs> people Q3. who make choices are not forced. What, what world are you guys fucking living in? Nobody uh, well, is like well, nobody Ethan, is enslaving you and forcing you to work Ethan, at a Web three company. Ethan, that is a choice. Ethan, you run your company for a while and you tell me what's forced or not. Anyways, so money forces you to do different things. Let's say in Q three last year. Everything was about Web3. Everything. Like yeah. you couldn't raise your money unless you had an amazing metrics on your game. So at that point, you had to put in Web3. That is called forcing. You either put Web3 or you go bankrupt. Uh, Guys, so ra- there raising, were a lot of companies. Raising money, <laughs> raising money is not a human right. <laughs> Right, capitalism is evolutionary. Businesses are supposed to fail. If you're not a good enough underlying business that somebody wants to invest money okay. in you, then you Le- go out of business. Let's like, let's that's capitalism. So, so so no no survival is not. Uh, this is survival. So you're your your company, and then say like okay, you can put in Web three, and then you can raise a lot of money that allows you to build the final game. But now you have to add a little bit of an L1, little Solana, a little Dapper Lab to your life, a little Discord and all of that jazz. There are a lot of companies that did that. There are a lot of companies that pivoted to Web3 because they had to. They were not forced. I'm sorry for using that word. They were... <laughs> not they, groomed they had for it to, either. Right. They, 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 well, I mean, they pivoted they, was, to Web3. You're yeah. saying you're saying companies to survive, pivoted to survive. Web three to survive to survive right exactly that to that to all right wait, okay I don't know what Mishka's talking about but at the end of the day <laughs> this kind of correction basically separates the wheat from the shaft to some degree mm. right or in crypto's case it's by basically the major criminals from the minor criminals right so it's like <laughs> the major criminals are getting absolutely annihilated right so maybe the people that are a little bit above board or more above board are gonna are gonna survive. Um, but I guess the, there's so many things I want to understand about this from your perspective, and maybe you're not covering it as closely as I thought, uh, uh, Ethan. Um, but like a lot of these companies were funded based upon the sales of the crypto assets behind them, right? Um, so are now if these they were are funded, worthless, are, are you saying they were funded by selling cryptographic assets to investors? Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Or coins or whatever. And so if those coins are now worthless, how are they going to go and get additional funding? Again, um, if they have a sound business that an investor believes in, they'll be able to sell stock. 
And if they're not able to sell stock and they're not able to raise revenue from players, then they'll go out of business. This is capitalism. Like raising money is not a right. And everybody who everybody who invested in cryptographic assets was an like at that level that you're talking about. If if you should have been an accredited investor who it was their responsibility to understand the risks of the market they were investing to. High risk, highly volatile markets can create high rewards, but they can also wipe you out. So I have, if if there's a fund that was raised by a, a venture capital fund that only bought tokens and all their tokens are worthless, that it was their responsibility to know that that could happen, right? That is investing. Investing is not a right. Profits are not a right. Company survivals are not a right. Oh my God. <laughs> Ethan went all oh South God. Carolina on us. Like he's, a, he's like, I'm pulling yourself capitalism. by your bootstraps. I'm not pulling myself by, if a business, if, if the business is not generating revenue from its customers and it does not have metrics that conv- convince an investor to buy its stock, then it goes out of business. So, all right. All right. All right. I'm not so going to go more practical. More, more practically though, I mean, with all these absolutely massive swings, do you think the broaden... Do you think the broader adoption of crypto is just really, really far away? Because generally when these type of swings happen, then we're going to start to see huge regulation mm-hmm. pushes from governments, world governments, and as well as the U.S. So are you, so are you, are you, do your, is your expectations that adoption is going to be a lot slower? So are you building games for the crypto bros? Or are you trying to build um, games for broader I mean, audience? I mean, I, I, I won't, I won't tip my hand at, at what my personal strategy is because it's, uh, pretty unique, but I've always, you know, uh, again, to, to say I, the analogy I keep using is that we're in a transition similar to the transition from Farmville to Call of Duty Mobile. That's like a 15, 20 year business model transition. So I've always thought it's going to be a long transition. So I think we're going to see more of these swings. We're going to see more boom and more bust. And the boom is going to create a lot of headlines and the bust is going to create a lot of headlines. I I think the amount of money is certainly kind of put this market in in its awareness on on steroids. But I I personally have always viewed it as, as a very long transition to when we're going to be seeing kind of mainstream crypto game adoption. Uh, And a lot of that has to do with technology being easy to use, clear to understand. It has to do with the regulatory environment uh, becoming clear. You know, I can tell you even in in my first couple of weeks as a new owner, uh, working in in this fluctuating regulatory environment is going to be one of the biggest challenges that that I and and other of my peers face. So, well, I, I, I think the good news of all this is that now people are actually talking about game design yeah. as opposed to, you know, get rich quick type, you know, and, you know, pay, pay to earn mm-hmm. type models. Yeah. Um, and so the real game designers will probably separate themselves from those that are just pretending, you know, um, as Mishka said, just to put Web3 and crypto in their, you know, business plan to get all kinds of crazy money. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I guess we'll see. I think my prediction is going to be the one is going to be true is that this is not a three to five year thing. This is a five to 10 year thing. Um, and, and even longer potentially, um, if ever, um, and, and ownership may be a valuable part of web three, but it may not have anything to do with 
blockchain or crypto. <laughs> Sorry, I just own asset ownership may be, you know, outside of the crypto world uh, or blockchain world, but we'll see. Um, all right, I think we got to cut this off because we are running late. All right, thank you everybody for listening. This was Twig 193. Thank you, Ethan, for joining during your <laughs> summer ranking. vacation. Yeah. Uh, to defend your honor, uh, to defend the name of <laughs> Levi and Eric Kress. Enjoy your trip to Europe. I wish your luggage travels with you, but I doubt, sincerely doubt, since you're <laughs> traveling to France. Are you traveling to Paris? Uh, we're leaving Paris this yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. so so, so going, you're flying. You're flying into Paris. There's no fucking way the luggage is gonna go with you. Like you're so against the odds. So, so um, <laughs> if that's your first destination, that airport is horrific. Anyways, uh, thank you everybody for listening. I wish Eric a nice holiday. He'll be wearing the same outfit day in and day out. <laughs> and uh, um, goodbye everybody.